0: Hello and welcome to the show. This is Beckett. The following episode is an encore broadcast in honor of the 75th anniversary of the release of The Wizard of Oz. Let's call it premiere week, shall we, since at least four theaters in small towns across America sneaked in a preview before the actual, official Hollywood premiere on August 15, 1939. A little theater in Dennis, Massachusetts, and then another theater in Kenosha, Wisconsin, showed it on Friday the 11th. And Oconomowoc, Wisconsin, and Racine, Wisconsin showed it on Saturday the 12th. Were they supposed to? Hmm, I just don't know. Suspicious. I'm sure the weekend sales were very tempting. Nevertheless, some Midwesterners saw it almost a week before those in New York City. Which seems kind of appropriate somehow. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the History Tricks,
1: where any resemblance to a boring old history lesson is purely coincidental.
0: And here's your 30-second summary, courtesy of movie reviewer Rick Polito.
1: Transported to a surreal landscape, a young girl kills the first person she meets, then teams up with three strangers to kill again.
0: The end. Let's
1: talk about The Wizard of Oz. But first, let's drop them into history. In 1900, Hawaii became a U.S. territory. The second modern Olympic Games open in Paris. The Boxer Rebellion occurred and is subdued by an international force in China. Carrie Nation publicly smashes her first bar in Wichita, Kansas. Agnes Moorhead, Lord Mountbatten, and Spencer Tracy were born. Frederick Nietzsche, Oscar Wilde, and Arthur Sullivan, of Gilbert and fame, died. And in 1900, the world is introduced to a little girl named Dorothy Gale, who sets off on an epic adventure in the land
0: of Oz. Today we're going to talk about the Wizard of Oz. And true, the wizard does get top billing in the title, but we all know who the real heroine is. A tough little prairie chicken named Dorothy Gale. And so now, without further ado... Let's talk about the Wizard of Oz. So let's start out by giving you, as if you didn't know this already, the plot of the story.
1: Once upon a time, a little girl named Dorothy from Kansas was transported by a cyclone to the land of Oz. There she is greeted by four little people, munchkins, three men, and a woman, who turns out to be the Witch of the North. She learns that she has killed the evil witch of the East, who has kept the munchkins in bondage. But Dorothy only wishes to go home. She is awarded magical silver shoes and instructed to find the wizard in the Emerald City because he can help her. On her way there, she befriends a scarecrow in need of a brain, a tin woodman in need of a heart,
0: and a lion in need of courage. Together they face many perils. Vicious Kalidas, who can tear someone to pieces. A rushing river that separates them from which they're saved by a giant bird, and a sleep-inducing field of enchanted poppies from which they're saved by a mouse queen and her thousands of subjects. At the Emerald City at last, they must all wear green glasses because the dazzlingness of the city would blind them. The wizard sees them individually, manifesting himself as a giant head, a beautiful lady, a huge monster, and a ball of fire.
1: The wizard grants them an audience, and they make their request to him, but he says that he will only grant their wishes... ...if they kill the Wicked Witch of the West. The Wicked Witch sees them coming. First she sends an army of wolves, then crows, then bees, then Winkies, which were her slaves, to stop them. But the Scarecrow and the woodman kill them all, and the lion scares the Winkies away. Finally, she sends winged monkeys, controlled by a golden cap, to destroy the Tin Men and the Scarecrow. They imprison Dorothy, Toto, and the lion. Finally, the Evil Witch steals one of the silver shoes... But Dorothy gets angry and pours
0: water on her, which melts her. Back at the Emerald City, Toto knocks over a screen that exposes the Wizard of Oz as a humbug. He gives the Scarecrow bran and pins to fill his head with a sharp mind, a silk heart to the Tin Woodman, and a placebo drink of, quote, liquid courage to the lion. How can I help being a humbug when all these people make me do things they know cannot be done? said the Wizard. The wizard accidentally departs alone with his balloon and leaves Dorothy behind. But maybe the Witch of the South could help you, so they're off to see Glinda, the Witch of the South. They have other adventures on their way to see Glinda. They go through the dainty China country, where all the shepherdess figurines, cows, lords and ladies and clowns on Grandma's curio cabinet have come to life. And they break a few things along the way. They encounter a horrible spider-like beast that the lion, with his fake new courage, attacks and kills. They get almost wiped out by the Hammerheads, a race of spring loaded neck pranksters, until the monkeys arrive and fly them out. Glenda the Good Witch explains... Um, the silver shoes that you've had the whole time have the power to carry you back over the desert. And so, leaving the lion to rule the forest, the scarecrow to rule the Emerald City, and the tin man to take over the Wicked Witch of the West's old neighborhood, Dorothy goes home, home to the new house Uncle Henry built after the old one blew away a few weeks ago. Dorothy lands in a field where she sees her aunt. Oh, Aunt Em, I'm so glad to be home again. The end. Does any of that sound slightly
1: strange to you? Just a little bit. But that is the summary of The Wizard of
0: Oz, written by L. Frank Baum in 1900. It's a story that became one of the best-selling books in the world, and in turn became the 1939 MGM movie that you all are probably more familiar with. So we will get to the familiar rainbow and ruby slippers and horses of a different color in time, but before we do, let's go back just a little and talk about the author L. Frank Baum and the inspirations for the stories that he told. In
1: 1856, Lyman Frank Baum was born in Chittanago, New York, which is up near Syracuse, upstate New York. He was the seventh of nine children, although only five survived to adulthood. He was named after his father's brother, but he hated the name Lyman. Who wouldn't? I I know. (laughs) And went by Frank uh, for his whole life. His father was Benjamin Baum, which sounds like a fake name to me. (laughs) And even more entertaining, Benjamin Baum was a barrel maker. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) His mother's name is Cynthia Stanton Baum. And we would love to make a connection to Elizabeth Stan, but we couldn't quite do it. So if there's any genealogists that are listening and can make that connection for us, that would be great.
0: Um, Dad was one of those guys who try a lot of schemes, but he finally hit it big in the oil industry, which was brand new. So Frank and his two brothers and two sisters grew up, educated by English tutors, at a mansion called Rose Lawn sounds beautiful it does Now frank himself was kind of a quiet and shy
1: kid he had a weak heart and it was kind of sickly so his parents indulged his imaginary pursuits Uh, he wasn't allowed to physically play like a lot of the kids but he played in his imagination like nobody's business he read a lot he was critical of scary fairy tales which is kind of interesting to think of a young child—I mean, we're talking about under 10—being critical of the scary fairy tales. He claimed that he someday he would like to write a different type, but he was very creative and very imaginative and very indulged. At one point, his parents were concerned that maybe he—they were indulging the imaginative a bit much—so they sent him off to Peak Skill Military Academy to kind of toughen him up and. Give him some structure.
0: Yeah, that worked. Mm. Not
1: at all. He hated it. Maybe it was the stress. Maybe it was the structure. Maybe it was the physical demands of a military academy. But he, quote, got sick. I mean, he was a sick kid. He had a weak heart. So maybe putting him through all that was a bit much. But they brought him back home pretty quickly. It, it wasn't a long stint in military <laughs> academy. Once he came home, he took an interest in some, a variety of things, and one of them was printing. So, of course, his parents bought him a home printing press. Why not? Um, he and his brother, Harry, printed up the Rose Lawn Home Journal, and it was once in a while, but they had articles. They sold advertising on it. It was kind of a neat little paper. After that, he started another paper called The Empire.
0: So, printing is in his blood. He luckily for him, was only son number two. So his older brother got the responsibility to learn the business. And Frank started out to copy Papa in scheme after scheme. For a while, he worked in a dry goods store, and that was kind of exciting. But then he became, inexplicably, a national expert on a certain kind of chicken, the Hamburg, and decided to produce a lot of magazines and information about those
1: chickens actually his first book was called the book of hamburgs a brief treatise upon the mating rearing and management of different varieties of hamburgs or as i would have called
0: it the wizard of hamburg (laughs) but then he decided he wanted to be an actor every parent's dread except for perhaps mine (laughs) yeah i know you're like oh you're not gonna act i know um And ultimately, as you know, he had the power of persuasion and his parents were marshmallows. They bought him an opera house. (laughs) Of course they they, did. He formed a Shakespeare troupe. I love it. So he indulged his uh, love of writing and wrote plays and produced plays until, unfortunately, a stray match caused a bit of a conflagration and his opera house burnt down. Not Mm -hmm. too much longer after he owned it. That's right. So that's a bummer. He was introduced by his cousin to a lady named Maud Gage at a party. You will just love her, said the friend. And Frank Baum replied, consider yourself loved, Miss Gage. To which she said, well, Mr. Baum, see that you live up to it. That was like their first, I mean, you can't even write dialogue that good. That's awesome. <laughs> so she considered herself loved and they fell in love. Her mama was Matilda Gage. Matilda Gage, who we just talked about as the buffer guest at the writing between Elizabeth Cady Stanton and Susan B. Anthony of the history of women's suffrage. In fact, she's working on it right now as they're meeting. Matilda, however, was not so
1: much a fan of Frank's. She thought he was a dreamer and that he was flighty and not a suitable match for Maud. But Maud was strong-willed and serious to Frank's flighty, happy-go-lucky, optimistic and it was an opposites attract, a boom explosion, really. It was hearts and flowers and short courtship. And within a year, they were married. I know. That's what happens when you raise those girls to think for themselves. Now, I saw this only in one place, but I just think it's so interesting to, to mention. Matilda brought Elizabeth Cady Stanton to the wedding. I think that's
0: cool. Well, it makes sense. They were says, together. They were. Wow. And you need someone to talk to. That's right. <laughs> Well, I love that. So there is a close connection to a previous podcast we've never had before. At first, he went responsibly into the family business. He was a seller of axle grease, which sounds very exciting to me. But then he fell off the wagon, and he was back at his old tricks. And he decided to join some of his wife's relations in a gray, gray country of South Dakota and opened a store called Balm's Bazaar. And you know what? What? Aberdeen, South Dakota, where that store was, was just down the road from Desmet, where somebody else we know was living at the time with her husband, Almanzo. I'm just saying, I I don't know that they went to Bombs Bazaar. I don't know that they did either, but what if they did?
1: Um, Bombs Bazaar sold household goods, toys, and candy, and Frank would entertain the kids of the town telling stories. Um... Unfortunately, while Frank was telling the stories, the economy of the town was kind of pummeling down. There was a drought, and if you don't make any money, you can't spend any money. And he had to close the bazaar, and he began a newspaper, the Aberdeen Saturday
0: Pioneer. He wrote most of the copy himself. He would pull things off the services and then just fill in with the rest of it. And after that enterprise failed again, shades of his papa, he moved his family back to Chicago, where he got a job as a traveling salesman for a China company. And he also started a magazine called Show Window that talked about visual merchandising, which is actually what I do, which is commercial interior design. Did you ever read it? Um, I think that magazine was defunct <laughs> long before I began. But if
1: everything old is new again, if you could do his windows now, all over Pinterest.
0: <laughs> so he was gone a lot. He uh, hated, hated, hated leaving his wife and his kids. They had four boys now. I imagine that house was loud. The times he was home, he loved to tell his boys stories and he would often expand on Mother Goose rhymes, kind of tell the backstory. One of his sons said that his father was so good at telling stories that he could explain in a completely logical way how all those blackbirds remained alive inside the pie. Yeah, the boys would sit there, just their mouths open, and they love it. I actually do that with Harry Potter. Like, I Uh tell backstories Mm -hmm. to to my son Mm -hmm. and stuff, so I love doing that, too. His mother-in-law, who had come to help with all those boys, said, You ought to write those down, Frank. They're very good, almost like Alice in Wonderland. And so he wrote Mother Goose in Prose, and it was illustrated by Maxfield Parrish. Could you find a more famous illustrator in the world right then? No, very Art Nouveau, but unfortunately very grown up kids are like "Eh." this is where he came into his own he'd been collecting some other rhymes and with a different illustrator named denslow he made a lovely book called father goose it went into
1: six printings this is his second book it was very successful at the time
0: he had found his career by Kind of by accident, although he'd been working up to it for some time. So the overnight success that has really been doing this since he was about 11.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Uh, All the neighborhood kids used to come around, and he would tell them stories. And one story that he told that was particularly a favorite was about a little girl named Dorothy in a foreign land. And one of the kids was like, what land did they live in? What was it called? And he looked around, and he said, where do they live? Where do they live? And spotted a file cabinet. The first file cabinet was the letters A through N, and the second, the letters O through Z. So he said,
0: Oz. I have a completely different story about that. And in a completely different file cabinet. Talk about that. He had a little card Uh catalog on his desk. The first one was A through G, the second was H through N, and the last was O to Z. And I actually nerded out and Mm -hmm. went and looked at common last names in America percentages. Oh my gosh. And I worked it out. (laughs) Each of those combinations is about 35% of the population. So those seem like legitimate... I am going to agree with you on that. That sounds really... Well, and I just went back and I was like, because if it's two file cabinets... That's 65% and 35%, which is not a very efficient way to use your file cabinet. See how much of a nerd I am? I don't I have know. time to be this much of a nerd. But I went through and did all those percentages. So That's I'm amazing. guessing, based on efficiency of the office, that okay. it was a three-file card catalog. I'm going to have to go with yours. I'm going <laughs> to bow to your nerd
1: and go with that. I know. Brace yourselves for that, nerdy. I know. <laughs> put, that,
0: put, put that in your head because I know there's more to come. So he said that this story just moved into his head and wouldn't get out. He shocked the kids, kind of. He he was sitting on. He said sitting on a hat rack, which seems uncomfortable, but I think he meant one of those hall tree things, right, like the, the bench.
2: bench.
0: <laughs> I'm guessing. He just stood up and he went out of the room. And he started gathering up paper, and he just would write, write, write. He ran out of paper. No time to get new paper. He grabbed envelopes, the backs of things, old newspapers on the margins, just anything he could find. And the story just all, like, poured out of his head, he said, of a piece. And he must have known something had happened to him that was very special because he took that pencil that he had written all those words with, and he wrote a little note on another scrap of paper. With this pencil, I wrote the story of the Emerald City. And he framed it. And it was a hit. I mean, Harry Potter level freaking out bestseller for two years hit.
1: Mr. Baum and Mr. Denslow fought to have two color illustrations in the book, which was very unusual and very costly. And the text wrapped some of the pictures, mm-hmm. which was so unusual and cool and eye-catching. Yeah, and you can still see that. Did, did your edition have it? No, mine's from
0: oh okay. 90s, 80s. No. Yeah,
1: my edition from the 50s had the original illustrations with it wrapped around like that and was different for the time. So it was worth for them to fight to get that in there. And they actually put up some of the money
0: themselves, and it came back to them. Oh, in space, He made Mm -hmm. a lot of money from this, and also there was a stage play produced right afterward that also poured significant amounts of money into his uh, life. He wrote, ultimately, 13 more Oz books. He had some ups and downs. I will say he transferred most of the money to his wife's name, and that was probably good. She was better with the with the funds, but still, they still managed to go bankrupt a couple times in their lives. Um, we are going to speed a little bit through the rest... Of this, as we are post-Oz at this point, but he wrote under many, many pseudonyms, some of which would surprise you. Oh, my goodness. The amount of
1: material that this man has put out, he wrote under the names Louis F. Baum, George Brooks, Floyd Akers, Laura Bancroft, John Estes Cook, Captain Hugh Fitzgerald. Suzanne Metcalf's Schuyler Stanton, his most successful series, was written under the pen name Edith Van Dyne, and it was kind of a YA series for teenage girls called Aunt Jane's Nieces. Very popular
0: at the time, and made him a good sum of money. Frank Baum died in 1919 at the age of 62, and his last words were, to his wife,
1: he said, now we can cross the shifting sands. Oh. Maud wouldn't die until 34 years later. She lived a very long time without him. But what a love story they had, and what a legacy he left. The last
0: book that he wrote was
1: Glinda of Oz, and it was published after his death. There's a
0: little overview of the author of The Wizard of Oz. I think I would love him. Me too.
1: Like, I'd want to sit and just listen. I would be one of those kids, I think. Just yeah. listening and adoring him. His wife adored him. He was adored. There's. I didn't see any
0: controversy
1: about the man.
0: Oh, no, but he was like the Pied Piper. Yeah. He was. Kids would follow him around. They'd pile in wherever he was. And he loved nothing more than to tell him a story. Mm-hmm. I love that. did the Wizard of Oz touch your life? Tell us that story or anything else you'd like to share on our phone line, 816-934-1234. We can't wait to hear your voices. So back to the main book at hand, here's just a little information about the book, which most people aren't as familiar with as the movie. So, Go read the book, by the way. Yes, absolutely. It doesn't take very long. It's a children's book. And they're all on LibriVox, by the way, so
1: just put it on your iPod. And they're also on Amazon for 95 cents
0: for the entire
1: series that's written by Frank Baum.
0: What do you know? Yeah. So um, we talked a little bit about where the name Oz came from itself, mm-hmm. but... The wizard's name, we also know where that came from, because revealed to Dorothy in Dorothy and the Wizard in Oz, his name is Oscar, Zoroaster, Phadrig Isaac, Norman, Hinkle, Emanuel, Ambrose, Diggs, which spell Oz Pinhead. So naturally, he always went by Oz. And he painted his initials on his balloons as he was a balloonist for the circus. And that led to a bit of a misunderstanding when a balloon painted with the initials O.Z., Landed in the land of Oz. Was there a real Dorothy? The way there was a real Alice in Alice in Wonderland? Not in that sense. No, not at all. Some sources have pointed to such things as a baby niece named Dorothy or a neighbor named Dorothy. But Frank Baum himself never, ever agreed to that interpretation. No specific Dorothy at all. And I looked up on Baby Name Wizard. Dorothy... The year this book was written was the seventh most common girl's name in the country that year. Interestingly, in the 20s, when all those children grew up and started naming their own children, Dorothy was number two. Wow. We may be seeing some Herminies here pretty soon. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I'm thinking. Um, Incidentally, your name, Susan, the year you were born, number three. Incidentally, my twin brother is also number three of the year
1: we were born. Isn't that, and that is not why they named us. They weren't, actually, my mom was like, Creative, free spirit. So to go by convention would have been the last thing she would have done.
0: (laughs) Where are you? Uh, My name has spiked recently. Um, I'm talking 2005 to now is the only time Beckett appears, and it's only boy name. So there's a lot of baby boy Becketts in kindergarten and below. Um, Back to Oz. (laughs) A lot of elements in this book actually came straight, I mean straight, from Frank Baum's life. South Dakota was a clear stand-in for Kansas. I mean, we've all read the Laura Ingalls Wilder books where she described the barrenness of those years. Of having, you know, to be on a claim shanty all alone, and the whistling wind, and the drought. And So, South Dakota is clearly Kansas. Gray and dusty and full of worn-down hope, kind of. Frank Baum greatly admired Alice in Wonderland, but he wanted his main character to be modeled more after the women he'd met in South Dakota. The Western women, he thought, were more capable and more no-nonsense. And in fact, Dorothy is a very practical, no-nonsense kind of little person. The Scarecrow came straight out of a horrible childhood nightmare where this horrible Scarecrow would chase him and try to kill him. So you'll notice the Scarecrow is the most jolly character in the entire book. So Mm -hmm. obviously that's a bit of exorcism. Yeah, well, it's like when you wake
1: up from a bad dream and you want to change
0: it. Yeah. It changed the ending. So that's what he did.
1: Good for him.
0: I love mm-hmm. that the Tin Woodman comes straight out of visual merchandising. He used to do window displays of ironmongery made to look like a man. So the funnel was the hat and a wash boiler would be the body and etc And little ones actually were sort of common as signs, but um, his full-size one was the king of traffic stopping. So there's your Tin Woodman, people. I think
1: it's interesting, too, in that in the books, the Tin Woodman has a name and, and a history. He has a personal history. His name is Nick Chopper. And he was a woodman who chopped off with a magical
0: axe parts of his body that were replaced by tin, by a tinsmith. Yeah, it's the Wicked Witch of the East, the one that got hit by the house, was the one that enchanted him. She didn't want Nick Chopper to marry her ward, and so she, to prevent that, would make him chop off pieces of his body.
1: As he was trying to build a house for them to live in. I know,
0: it's a That sounds like tragic. the Grimm's fairy tale yeah, to Yeah, Frank bomb. <laughs> Um, there was a yellow brick road at Peekskill Military Academy. Hmm. I say it again. There was a yellow brick road at Peekskill <laughs> Military Academy. You know. That's all. There was a land of dainty China featured in the book, and he was a China salesman. And I think it's funny because some of the China complained that you're never as pretty again after you're mended. And also that there was a clown, and he'd been mended so often that he was cracked in the head, and you couldn't believe a thing he said. And I think it's funny. I can just imagine Frank getting out with his sample case and a little clown figurine, dropping on the ground Mm -hmm. and breaking into a million pieces, and literally turning him into this character, because I can just see his mind working like that.
1: Well, he was working on stories while he was on the yeah. road. It was, his mind was always moving. He was jotting
0: notes on things. He had a lot of downtime. <laughs> <laughs> um, the Emerald City, I, I have to tell you, we love this place. The Emerald City is clearly the great white city of, drum roll please, the Columbian Exposition in Chicago. You know, the yellow brick road might lead to Oz, but all roads on the History Chicks lead to the Columbian Exposition. <laughs> I cannot explain it. <laughs> oh,
1: my goodness. You cracked me
0: up. His mother-in-law, Matilda Gage, was actually researching witch burning and witch hunting at the time, and um, I can imagine the dinner table conversation was quite amazing and led to some witches' inclusions. Well, you have to have a protagonist. Well, and his mother-in-law and wife were big feminists and you'll notice that all the women have all the real power and all the men have all the pretend power uh yeah
1: oh i mean throughout the series it is a women dominated society
0: the reviews of the book were clearly good i mean here's just an example of a review and they were all pretty much like this it will indeed be strange if there's a child alive who does not enjoy this story the book did not get the respect it deserved for about 50 years, it was not even included in the greatest children's books of all time. Like, Harry Potter made it instantly. But this book, now 50 years, librarians are like, hmm, it's not really quality entertainment. We're not going to go ahead and stalk that. And, in addition, this book got banned all over the place, oddly. I think oddly. But it got banned for showing witches as good is the main reason people gave. Oh, yeah, I can see that. Really? They even,
1: yeah. Well, in the Bible, witches are associated with Satan.
0: Even with the tiara and a lovely red wig. Because the power doesn't
1: come from God. The power comes comes from from somebody else, not Hmm. God. So I can see why that particular book banning, book burning segment of the population would have some issue.
0: Later, it was decried as a socialist manifesto, which I'm sure would shock <laughs> Frank Baum. Actually, just rolling his eyes, I think, like, mostly. Oh, please. And he never meant to write a sequel. He never meant to write one, but dang it if he didn't get deluged with requests and ideas. And he he had always thought, I was destined for greatness, but I have realized that this is my purpose. To please a child is a sweet and lovely thing that warms the heart and brings its own reward. And I think that's why he used his own name
1: for the Oz series and pseudonyms for anything else that he wrote, because he wanted to be
0: remembered as a children's author. And that's why. So the 1902 play was produced. Um, you know, like you get it. It would have been a movie if it had been now. Yeah. Oh, yeah, immediately. <laughs> it was kind of... It was loosely based on Oz, shall we say, and uh-huh. there were inclusions of showgirls and, yeah,
1: it was like, girls, girls, girls,
0: Oz, uh, yeah, but it went 300 performances, lots of new characters were added, there was no Wicked Witch, Toto inexplicably became a cow, so a guy could fit in the suit, <laughs> and the snow that saved them from the poppy field was made of 100% asbestos, which was probably very healthy for all of them. Oh. It broke box office records. People couldn't wait to get in. And at the time, of course, you didn't have a lot of recorded music. And so a lot of times those performances went four and five hours as people would yell, Encore! Encore! Because we are so spoiled. If we want to hear another song again, you just hit the back button. (laughs) But you're never, not ever, going to hear this song again. And if you want to hear it again, you got to make the people sing it again. And sometimes they were at it for hours. I love that. It was so popular from the very beginning. But it was this musical, and the popularity of same, that was uppermost in the minds of MGM when they decided to make a go at an adaptation. There's other movies, including the 1910 silent movie that the Romanov family watched in their screening room. True. But when I say the movie, you know what I mean. MGM's 1939 movie starring Judy Garland. And others. (laughs) And now on to the movie. The 1939 version starring Judy Garland is the most viewed movie in the world. And if you haven't seen it, well, put your rock aside, hide yourself to the library, and check out a copy because you are missing a chunk of history. And actually, if you do get the copy from the library,
1: it will come in a three-disc set, and there's, like, hours and hours of director's cuts and special features at the end which includes some of the silent versions of the movie. That's just pretty interesting. That's awesome. If you, you know, you can sit through that stuff. I fell asleep. <laughs> but, you know, if you can watch that stuff in the quiet
0: of your house. <laughs> well, oddly, you can blame or thank Walt Disney for this movie. He had hit it big the year before with Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, for which he won an Oscar and seven little Oscars. The Oscars used to be so cute. They did. So just like today, when one person has a vampire movie, they all have a vampire movie. Well, hey, this fairy tale thing hit it big. Let's see if we can get a property. It was a prestige picture, which is what they literally called it. A prestige picture, meaning it's a competition with the other guy. It's ego. It's branding. I don't care if we get our money back. Who gives crap? So let's throw $2.6 million at The Wizard of Oz, which is what they did. Holy moly. I know. You know that movie did not make its money back for 20 years. It is probable though not definite, that Shirley Temple was the first choice to play Dorothy, which, if you ask me, still makes more sense. She was 11. Dorothy was supposed to be around 7 or 8, according to the book. So, yeah, a
1: 10 or 11-year-old Shirley Temple would look more the part, but she, singing-wise, they didn't think she had the chops for it.
0: Isn't she sing, like, in every movie, though? Yeah, but she sang cute,
1: little, and they wanted something big. They wanted something prestigious. They wanted something flashy. So
0: they got... Gome, Judy Garland, Through the first director. She had to wear a blonde wig and baby doll makeup, which I am so glad they lost that. That would have just been not good. No, not at all.
1: Um, Ray Bolger was tapped to play the Tin Man, and he was a dancer, and he was actually so crushed because he thought he should be the Scarecrow. So he lobbied to get the Scarecrow part, and thankfully he won and
0: got it. Well, he actually traded Buddy Epson, Beverly Hillbilly's paw, by the way, was supposed to be the scarecrow and traded him. Like, I don't care. One or the other, I don't care. And you care so much. Let's just switch. I don't care.
1: He's going to care later because when they started filming, some of the makeup that they used had aluminum powder in it, and it coated his lungs, and he couldn't breathe. He was hospitalized and fired from the role. He was replaced by Jack Haley, and the aluminum powder makeup was replaced
0: By aluminum paste.
1: But poor Betty Epson.
0: And, if you can believe this, piece of perfect casting, the wizard's part was supposed to be played by W.C. Fields. Now, let's go to an alternate universe, (laughs) shall we? Where W.C. Fields is the wizard and Shirley Temple is Dorothy. How cute. I see a better movie. No, you don't agree. Not, no, I, I I see a much
1: different movie. I don't know if it would have had the staying power in that this was so glitzy and so big with the songs and uh, it was. Still but yeah, I would have loved songs. to seen W.C. Fields yeah. as a wizard. But he wasn't just a wizard; he was a wizard. He was a Professor Marvel. He was the Doorman, the Cabbie, and the Guard. Frank Morgan played five roles in this movie
0: because they were trying to entice W.C. Fields by giving him more screen time. Mm-hmm. So many writers, some with crazy ideas and characters kind of created out of nothing. About 20 people. I mean...
1: They went through five directors for this movie, so ultimately 14 writers are given credit, credit for, for writing it. Five directors. One of them was Victor Fleming, and he did most of the movie. He's the one that came in and changed the blonde hair to, to brunette and took off some of Dorothy's makeup because she just looked... didn't look like a little girl. She looked a little bit like a showgirl <laughs> it's going back to the musical version girls girls
0: girls of oz so victor fleming left to go work on a little picture we like to call the wizard of tara <laughs> you may know it better as gone with the winds just a little picture just a little epic you know thing and he was replaced by the amazingly awesomely named king vidor who refused to to really promote that he'd been involved in this project until the death of his friend Victor Fleming, that was respectful because Victor Fleming had done most of the work. Right. I thought that was really nice, by the way. You no, know, it's very. <laughs> Although I wonder how any dang thing got done at all. I mean, this thing <laughs> with was so many writers and so many directors, and the biggest departure from the book, and the one I and a lot of people have the most trouble with, is. In the book, this is a real place that she really goes to with her real body. But in the movie, it is all a dream. It's all a dream. Kind of gimmicky. But they gave everyone in Oz a counterpart in the gray world of Kansas. There's no Miss Gulch in the book. There's no Professor Marvel in the book. Although, I will say there's a sign on his caravan that says, Master Balloonist. Which I f- thought was cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, okay, they were gonna give Professor Marvel a tame lion in a cage, so that there'd be a lion on the other side—the MGM lion that roars. You know? Uh huh. Because yeah. they had a lion. Why not? You they got, got one. Yeah. yeah. But they came to their senses and just like you know, we could just add another farmhand. We could just. <laughs> Well, they did. They added all the farmhands, hug Honk,
1: kickery. Well, but I'm just saying... I guess you have to say, do I love the book or do I love the movie? I guess you could love them both, but you have to realize that they're totally different entities.
0: Well, there's yeah. no rainbow in the book, and hardly any Kansas at all, in fact. You, you know it's gray, and then you're out. And the song, Over the Rainbow, the famous song, number one movie song of all time, not only wasn't anywhere mentioned in the book, but it almost got cut from this picture completely. They did
1: I know they didn't think that a, one of their stars should be singing in a barnyard. That's their problem with it. Yeah. <laughs> and this is during, the, still during the sepia, you know, it's all sepia and cows and quite awesome chickens running around and stuff, but way before the technicolor comes.
0: But eventually the cyclone does come and it's on to the land of Oz we go. Here's something cool about that exact sequence. They were all concerned, like, oh, no, how do we make the switch? How do we make the switch? Well, the thing is, they painted everything sepia, Mm -hmm. which was pretty awesome. Mm -hmm. What a trick that is. And then, should they have her body double, wearing a sepia-tinted dress, be the one to open the door? And then Dorothy, in her actual makeup, comes out into the colorful real world. Now, that was all fine and good when they showed it in sepia. But then when you turned it to black and white, everything in Kansas is black and white until you get to that scene. Oh, and then it's... Because it's brown. Yeah. (laughs) So it was seamless, and in newer editions, they put it back to sepia, which is interesting. But there was like a, ooh, party
1: foul right there in the middle. A lot of people believe that that's the first Technicolor movie that was ever made, and that's not the case at all. The first one was made back in the teens. The first talking Technicolor movie was made in 1929. So... This is ten years before
0: The Wizard of Oz was made, so it's not the first. Well, or the fact that it changes is so shocking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, yeah. How much of a bummer would it have been, though, to watch it in the 60s? Which is, you know, it was on TV, and it's like, oh, we're in the marvelous land of, hey, it's still black and white.
1: <laughs> so they kind of <laughs> lost in our their... our house, and it was black and white until the 70s, because my parents wouldn't
0: buy a color I TV. I think that's true. I think I was eight yeah. or seven. Yeah. I know, the young kids are falling over on their backs right I know. <laughs> So the Munchkin numbers go up, sure enough. Uh, it's up from, you know, three, certainly. To many. 124, I think. Although a dozen of them, I have to say, were kind of ringers. They were just little girls, just to bulk up the numbers a little. Yeah, and they get to sing. And I have to say, my
1: kids, when I told them what we were doing, they are like, do not do it, Mom, do not do it. And so I'm going to say, we represent the lollipop kids. <laughs>
0: I'm all creep out. (laughs) Okay, I'm going to say something. Can I say something about the Wicked Witch of the East, by the way? Yeah. Okay, I would like you to look around this clean, colorful, delightful place where the inhabitants are fat and fashionable and they feel completely free to sleep outside in flowers all night and they have all this time to choreograph creepy lollipop dances. <laughs> and songs, sure, such as what we've just heard, sure. And you tell me how bad of a ruler was the Wicked Witch of the East? It seemed like she had her crap together. Like, uh. what was her evil power?
1: I don't um. All I can come up with is that slaves had spirituals? I don't know.
0: You're right. You bring up a really good point. Well, I They did look like a very happy people. mean the Winkies over in the Wicked Witch of the Westland, they have a beef. I'm telling you. Okay, fair enough. Let's drop a house on that one. (laughs) I don't know if that mayor's up to the job. We'll see how it looks in ten years is all I'm saying.
2: Uh,
1: (laughs) They replaced the silver shoes that were in the book with ruby slippers because the red would show up better and Technicolor would be brighter and... Um no nice Yeah. And the actual shoes, while well, there were several pairs, there is a pair that's on display at the Smithsonian. And the red is actually a really dark red because the red that we think of as red would show up as orange in Technicolor because of the coloring mm. process. So the colors were a little bit like the original Yellow Brick Road was kind of a greenish color. And they had to change the color of the, the road around to make it. So they showed up in Technicolor, which is kind of interesting. So if we could get our hands on them, both you
0: and I would fit into them. Ooh. They were size six. We're the right height. <laughs> now, the book Emerald City is only green on the outside. Because everyone had to wear green goggles to trick them into the fact that this was green, like rose-colored glasses or whatever. But obviously for a movie, that's not going to work. So in the movie, for obvious reasons, they chose not to do that. secret note here. Watch those horses of a different color, or the horse of a different color, which is obviously, they didn't even make any attempt to get horses the same size, I'm (laughs) telling you right now. Those horses were colored with jello powder. They had to shoot it really fast so they didn't lick it off. I know, that's really interesting. I read but have not yet seen that the purple one, you can catch him doing it. Oh really? So check the purple one. I'll have to check that one out. I didn't slow it down. So, (laughs) they see the wizard all together and he is only one disguise, a big head, narrative economy. You can't, you know, I'm going to show up on this day, this day, this day. Fair enough. I'm not, I'm not judging him about that. Right. He wants them to go get the broomstick. He doesn't literally say kill, but You're not gonna go, excuse me madam, may I have your broomstick? No. You're gonna have to go through her, basically, to get this broomstick. Which is pretty harsh, given what we know about him. Pretty harsh to go send these people off. Well, he probably figured she already killed
1: one, right? Just like in the Uh, book. Oh,
0: that's true. She already
1: killed one witch. She might have some powers here. He's
0: seen stuff. Big fat cow. In Oz. Things happen. Weird things happen in Oz. Well, the witch captures our ruins, our friends, which is literally one of the biggest traumas of my childhood, those <laughs> freaking flying monkeys. A lot of people are traumatized.
1: I think I would have been left traumatized if I had realized, in the book, the monkeys are controlled by a golden cap. You, the owner of the cap only has three chances, like a genie, only three mm-hmm. wishes. So she's only got three chances. That's it, with the monkeys, and then she's done. If I hadn't known that they were minions, you know... I maybe wouldn't have been scared. No. <laughs> oh, I
0: see what you're saying. That they're not going to stick around. Yeah, they. Like, yeah,
1: they make you know, in the movie. It seems like she has complete control over them. Whereas in the book, they there's some free will involved, and only three chances.
0: You know, interestingly, there is an artifact left from the book in the movie. You know, the poppy field that they fall asleep in. There is an artifact that when the poppies fail to destroy her enemies, huh? she throws a golden cap across the room. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, crap. You know, now I'm going to have to use this thing. That's her last wish. So she's got the golden cap in the movie, but they never refer to it, but that's what it is. Isn't that interesting? I love it. I Maybe
1: mean, if they hadn't had so many writers working on it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if they had one that could just continuity
0: through the whole thing. and Yeah. that's. Oh, that is a good point. Yeah. Like somebody thought that was important from the book and put it in and then somebody's like, I don't know what that is and just took it out. But they left it in the props and in the she used it across the room. Well, and she knew the books. Yeah. Because that was one of she was a Harry Potter nerd. She knew the books backwards and and forwards and knew what the golden cap was and probably thought, Oh, well they handled it in the scene I wasn't in (laughs) and they never did. (laughs) Unlike the book, Dorothy's in real danger because the witch plans to kill her when the hourglass runs out. Well, in, you know, in the book, she's completely invincible because the Wicked Witch of the North has kissed her forehead. Right. She's all alone in the lovely enclave of the Wicked Witch of the West. That's just very charming. Yes. Ultimately, her friends break her out, and might I say, the Tin Man looks kinda handsome. In that hat. <laughs> yes. I have thought so ever since I was little. Here's an important distinction. In the book, Dorothy just gets mad at the witch and throws a bucket of water on her, but in the movie, which is one of the things they do better, mm-hmm. the witch actually sets the scarecrow on fire, and to protect him and to put him out, she throws the bucket of water, which hits the witch and melts her. I have a question. Okay. To the Wicked Witch of the West, if you know water is your only <laughs> weakness, why do you have a bucket of it sitting on the stairs? I refer you to the famous Usenet list, the Evil Overlord Handbook. Rule Wait. number five. Can I get you your nerd card? <laughs> yes, okay, I'm officially waving my nerd card right now and we will link you to the Evil Overlord list because it is funny in so many ways. Evil Overlord rule number five. The artifact, which is my greatest weakness, will not be kept in the Mountain of Despair, guarded by the Dragons of Eternity. It will be in my safe deposit box. <laughs> I got no argument. I am nothing. I mean, that's rule five. There's 200 of them, and you already (laughs) failed. There's a lot other rules that apply to her, and I'll put this in the show notes. Um, For example, tailor your minion's uniforms properly so you'll recognize when some kook has robbed someone (laughs) of his uniform. Although a shiny silver guy ought to have been your first clue, and the fact that one of them had a tail. So, so much trouble could have been avoided by a simple reading of Usenet. So, I, you know, I'm disappointed in you for that. We are treated now to the disappointing humbuggery that is Oz the Great and Powerful, who gives out basically the same lame presents to the hero trio that we got last time, slightly (laughs) modified for movie version, and then also fails to take her away in his balloon. Now, Glenda, somehow now knowing what the slippers do, decides that this is a good time to reveal, even though she
1: gave them to her early in the movie, she's been watching her because she made it snow on the poppy fields. Now it's a good time to tell her what the shoes will do for her.
0: And you see, here's two problems with that. One is, you had to see for yourself that home is the best place, ni no, my ninny Which Frank Baum specifically did not put morals like that in his books. Right. And in the books, a whole other witch gives her the silver slippers. <laughs> <laughs> and so Glenda can't be blamed for not being in on that joke. But this Glenda, come on, seriously? She's followed the story all along.
1: In the book, she's off in her, in, in uh, Quadling County. And she's has nothing to do with nothing. it.
0: Nothing, yeah. So I'm disturbed. Uh, Glenda, think... you could have not been this uncool. Well, this movie could have been 100 minutes shorter. Um, <laughs> had Glenda just ponied up with that knowledge. Maybe she Googled it. <laughs> Maybe she didn't know at the beginning. Let's give her that. So then... Dorothy wakes up in sepia land. It was all a dream. You were there and you and you No Miss Gulch though, huh, nobody Wicked witch is dead. So was it all a dream? Now here's something interesting. There is a mythical ending which a mass hysteria of people have said they saw once. but as far as I know, nobody's been able to find proof ever existed. okay? But so many people swear they saw it. And it's pretty cool, and I wish they'd left it. Tell me. It's all a dream. It's all a dream. We're all up here on the right talking to all the people, and the camera pans down to the Technicolor, in sepia land, red shoes under her bed.
2: Oh.
0: That would have been a cooler ending. That would have been a cooler ending. And the fact that so many people swear, swear they saw that ending. I don't know where that all comes from, but awesome. A little mystery. There are other myths about this movie that have proved to be untrue. One of the major ones is that a munchkin committed suicide. Oh, look all over the internet. Just Google munchkin commits suicide. My kids told me. They're like, when you watch that, there's a munchkin hanging himself in the woods. Not so. That's another artifact from the books, which is cracking me up. The scarecrow gets saved from a river by a large bird. So somewhere in the writing process, someone thought there needed to be some large birds around. Mm -hmm. (laughs) To save him from the river, a scene which never appears in the movie. So, wandering the set at that time was an emu and some cranes and some other really large animals. And the munchkins were nowhere on the set. And so what you've got is an emu, or some say a crane, stretching its wings. And that's all you've got. The munchkins weren't even there. Hadn't even been called to the set yet. There was another one. That Pink Floyd's album, The Dark Side of the Moon, (laughs) if you started at the right moment, exactly lines up with Wizard of Oz, okay? A, who has this kind of time (laughs) to have discovered this in the first place? Pink Floyd themselves deny it. Let's go with that, that it's just a major coincidence. I guess if you're listening to Pink Floyd that much, you might be making up stuff that you think you see. There's a lot of stuff that lines up. Like They say the word balance when she's balancing on the fence. But I almost think if you look for things, like, play any song, and yeah. you be like, oh, they just said... Yeah. Also, what I want to be true so desperately, but I cannot confirm through another source, so I'm going to say it's not true, though I want it to be true, is that they never were satisfied with The Wizard of Oz, his costume. It needed to be something that used to be grand, but is now shabby. And the costume designer is like, I can't read your mind, and went down and angrily bought an entire rack of coats off a secondhand store and brought the entire freaking thing in and set it up, and with a wave of the hands, and there you go, you guys find the coat. I'm all out of this situation. <laughs> so they chose a coat for its proper shabbiness, etc. And then, while futzing around with the pocket, the actor discovered a label sewn into the pocket that read L. Frank Bomb. That would have been so cool. That would have been and cool. And I hope it's true. <laughs> that would be Nicole cool one. But Munchkins asked about this, also said that was some kind of um, studio hype.
1: Yeah, I agree.
0: The last myth I'm even going to address refers to the fact that this entire thing is an allegory on... Oh, take a yawn. Just sit down. Oh, I know. There. I know what you're going to say. The gold <laughs> standard, the silver standard, the populist movement, the Wizard of Oz is really the president... Here's the thing. Nobody thought about that until a high school teacher in 1964 used it as a model in his class for such things. And that is a really good teaching tool because it will fix that in people's minds. So feel free. Teach it like that if you have to. There's a lot of good symbolism, and it will stick in people's minds. But don't say that he wrote it for that. I don't even think he voted along those lines. I mean, it's complete fabrication. (laughs) Well, this movie is the most watched movie of all time. The The message I got from it, I think, which I don't know that it was meant to give you a message, really, but the message I got is not the no place like home and that home is the best place. The message I got from it is you have it in you all along. You have courage. You have the heart. You have the brains. You believe in yourself. Don't depend on some humbuggery to get you through it. It's all already there. Just get it out. See, that's what I took from those No, replies. that's a
1: good one. I took a more imaginative, like, imagination, that the imagination li- lies in everybody. Even people who say that they live in a black and white world can be imaginative. That's my the thing that touches me about this particular movie.
0: Here's a strange bedfellow story. Salman (laughs) Rushdie credits this movie with creating his career. Salman Rushdie, writer of the Satanic Verses, his first book that he ever wrote was called Over the Rainbow. He was obsessed with it. And he says, no, it's not about home. It's not about home. In fact, the main song is all about leaving home. What it is is not the home you come from, but the home and the life you will create for yourself. And he has actually written a book called The Wizard of Oz kind of about his feelings about it that you can buy on Amazon. It's a cultural phenomenon, this movie. We are all, all of us, familiar with so many quotes from this movie. Let me just run down some of these quotes. And your little dog, too. Or, I'll get you, my pretty. And your little dog, too. From my favorite Margaret Hamilton. Also, inexplicably, when the witch dies and melts, after she says, I'm melting, she says, what a world, what a world. And in the... Disney game uh, it was called Where's My Water but they've taken a character from Phineas and Ferb called Perry and it's called Where's My Perry if you don't give Perry enough water to escape he goes what a world what a world I just heard it yesterday it's cracking me up <laughs> and then, that's so funny because
1: the people that are probably playing it are kids and, and they don't like, no. what a world what a world and pay then you your parent care. hears it oh
0: that's funny pay no attention to the man behind the curtain which is something the wizard says as a big head, trying to prevent them from seeing the man behind the curtain, which is him, is used in a lot of political speech, even now. And in Lost, there's a character named Jacob, and the episode he first appears in is called The Man Behind the Curtain. So Lost not only likes Alice in Wonderland, they also like The Wizard of Oz. (laughs) Um, And then the one that I hate... And that nearly everyone in Kansas hates Just FYI, it's no longer funny. I'm telling you right now. No, it's not. (laughs) Toto, I've got a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. We're all done with that. Thank (laughs) you. I grew up in in Wichita, (laughs) Kansas. It's okay. We're done. So in Avatar... Yeah. uh, Soldiers, you're not in Kansas anymore, he says... In The Matrix, also another place that loves Alice in Wonderland. He's given the red mm-hmm. pill, and, set, and someone says to him, Buckle your seatbelt, Dorothy, because you're not in Kansas anymore. Little Shop of Horrors. Audrey the Lady says, Am I dreaming? Audrey the Man-Eating Plant says, No, and you're not in Kansas neither. It's a part of our culture now. That's And just an to leave you with a big example, the very first episode... Of 90210 was titled We're Not in Kansas Anymore. That's the movie. The movie in a nutshell, the 1939 Wizard of Oz. We're. Do it. Oh, to see the wizard, the wonderful Wizard of Oz. Now sing the next
1: line. We hear he is the Wizard (gasps) of Oz. Am I wrong? No, I didn't know that. And you do. Oh, I know (laughs) things. I
0: think we'll go out on that (laughs) song.
1: If ever, oh, ever a wizard was a wizard of Oz, because, 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 because of the wonderful things he does. Do, 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 do. Wow, my kids are gonna be completely embarrassed. Love it.
0: This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the world's leading provider of audiobooks with over 100,000 titles. For listeners of the History Chicks, Audible is offering a free download to give you a chance to try out their service. Since all of the original Wizard of Oz books are in the public domain and can be listened to on LibriVox.org for free, to go along with this episode, we recommend Wicked! The Life and Times of the Wicked Witch of the West by Gregory Maguire. It's the story of when the Wicked Witch and Glenda were roommates in college and the hijinks that ensued. To receive your free audiobook today, go to audible.com slash thehistorychicks or, more simply, follow the link on our website, thehistorychicks.com. And now we get to our media section, which for this one is a little longer because... At the beginning, we have to really talk about other works by Frank Baum and others. This book has spawned so many adaptations, homages, one might say. But let's start at the beginning. Frank Baum himself, despite his intentions of not writing a sequel, wrote 13 sequels to this book. Did you
1: know that? I think it's astonishing because not only was he writing the sequels, about one a year after the first four years, but he was writing all that other stuff mm-hmm. and traveling and not writing it on his laptop either. Amazing. <laughs> so Frank Baum wrote up to book number 14, which is Glinda of Oz, and then he died. But he, it was such a cash cow for Riley and Lee, the publisher, that they needed it to go on. So Ruth Plumlee Thompson was picked to be the next writer of the Oz books, or as they like to call them, the Royal Historians of Oz. Yeah,
0: they weren't authors. They just had the stories told to them.
1: Yeah, (laughs) in increasingly dramatic and time technology fashion. It's kind of interesting. Um, So she wrote books 15 through 33, and then there was a series of other authors, just three books apiece, one book, up to book number 40, which is Merry-go-Round in Oz, which ends the official Oz series. It, there's others out there, there's other people, there's another six books that are debatable as to if they are, if should be included, but that's not for us to decide. This is where we call it, right here, at 40, but wow, what a
0: span. If you're going to start with one, feel free to go in order. Feel free, but please read the Ozma of Oz. In fact, go out right now and get it out of the library. Just go do it. It's it is
1: free. You can. It's a. It's in the public domain. You can download it for free from Amazon, which is what I did. And Beckett's right. Oh, please
0: go get it and read it. The late Nora Ephron had said this was her favorite, and I agree. I mean, there's things like lunchbox trees that I can't get over. There's TikTok, the mechanical man. There is this amazing regent of the land of Ebb called Languidir, which I think is supposed to be like Guinevere, but she's languid. She would do nothing more than try on her 31 heads. I mean, it's awesome. There's a gnome king that turns you into little um, objects of art all over his house. There's an awesome character called the Hungry Tiger. I just love it. It's just go get it. Go get it right now. You can read the
1: Ozma of Oz without reading the second book, although that's the one that she first appears in. But you can go back and read it again because it's kind of interesting because it deals a lot with uh, gender. Because she starts off as a boy in the story and ends up as a girl. Ozma actually appears in all of the books except for the first one. She's either referenced or makes an appearance. So Ozma is a very big
0: character. In addition, uh, Frank Baum wrote. Almost like the same kind of stories called Little Wizard Stories, and they are meant for the younger audience. And I have to tell you, um, they are available on LibriVox, and there is one story that I am delighted by that I tell my little son between the Hungry Tiger, who shows up in Ozma of Oz, and the Cowardly Lion, our old friend, where they're tired of being guards for someone that doesn't need guarded, and they try to out-macho each other. The Hungry Tiger says... He wants nothing more than to eat a fat baby. Well, I just want to tear someone into chop suey. And they fight about Kies mas macho. And they go out into the city and prove themselves big fat marshmallows. And come back and lay back down in their cabins. Which is a great little story. And it has no real violence in it at all. And it's really cute. It's a good story. Also, he wrote right after Wizard of Oz a story called Dot and Tot in Merryland. It's not on LibriVox yet, and the only reason I know that is I am reading Chapter 18 for LibriVox. So stay tuned for that, and I'll put that on Facebook when it comes out. That's exciting. That's really exciting, it? Hey? That's exciting. exciting. So shall we move to movie adaptations? Uh, how do you
1: call it? How do you decide to pick on which movie adaptations to do? Well, we had to. <laughs> yeah. That's... In 1978, The Wiz came out. It was the musical Modern day version of the Wiz set in a in New York City. There's all kinds of New York landmarks that they pass by. But it, they cast Diana Ross as Dorothy, Michael Jackson in his film debut as the Scarecrow, Nipsey Russell, who in my opinion rocked it as the Tin Man, and he was 60 at the time that he did that movie, which is boggles me again. Um, and Ted Ross. There, there's big cast. Richard Pryor was the whiz. It was a cult movie favorite at best. It, it was kind of panned by the critics. It didn't make a whole lot of
0: money, but
1: you can still get, watch it for free on Netflix.
0: I know. I, I have to say, I loved it when I was a little kid, but I tried to watch it and I found it nearly unwatchable. <laughs> I liked the yellow linoleum road though. That was nice. Yeah, I, I
1: think If you take elements out of the movie, it it ran too long, in my opinion. Um, It's a little slow. I remember it being slow back in 1978 when I went to see it at the theaters, and it was slow in 2013. Yeah. Um, I did fast-forward through a few scenes. But if you break it down into its base elements, there's some really cool stuff in there. If
0: you can get over the whiny, snivelly Diana Ross character as Dorothy. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, there is a massively bad movie, you may remember. I'm just going to mention it because it's so, like, what the heck. It's called Under the Rainbow, and it's a spy movie mixed with a girl who has to be the munchkin wrangler for the filming of The Wizard of Oz. Chevy Chase is in it. I don't think you need any more information. Feel free to access (laughs) this stinker of a a one-and-a-half-star movie if you like. As an alternate perspective on the filming of Wizard of Oz. Shocking. But there's so many, if you just go
1: to Netflix and you type in Wizard of Oz, you can get so many versions. There's a Tom and Jerry version. There's several animated versions, one with Margot Kidder as the narrator. There's a Muppets version with oh, Ashante as Dorothy, which is oh, kind of cute. interesting. Yeah,
0: so I mean, there's a lot of versions that you can go through. Um, okay, so back onto the good side. There was a movie. It didn't really get a lot of play, which is puzzling. It starred Faruza Bulk, who was very good and the right age, <laughs> might I say, because she was 11. Um, Return to Oz is a direct sequel to the movie The Wizard of Oz. It's the same characters, theoretically, but it, it uses Ozma of Oz as its basis. So you've got Tik Tok in there and Languidir and all you know all those characters. So if you would like to see them in action... That's actually a movie I might recommend. In
1: 2007, the Sci-Fi Channel did a mini series called Tin Man. And Be- Beckett and I totally differ on our opinion of this particular show, but um, it's about six hours worth of possibly a miscast. So we did Chanel. Okay, she was really miscast in this particular She moment. has good
0: eyebrows. You know, if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. She has excellent eyebrows.
1: I watched the whole series with my daughter, who's really into fantasy, and we enjoy Once Upon a Time, the TV show Once Upon a Time. And this particular miniseries had a lot of Once Upon a Time elements to it. They had the digital graphics of the towns, and it just, there's little bits of the, of the book that you could find and spot through the movie. So finding those things was kind of fun. Almost made it worth not watching Zoe now, who I adore, and I still adore. I just didn't adore her in this. Richard Dreyfus was cast as the Mystic Man, which is basically Oz's character.
0: Ready? And now, upcoming as of this production, although by the time it's out, it may be on the doorstep, Oz the Great and Powerful, which remains to be seen how awesome it is. It looks good in the previews. Um, in the tradition of Ev names that run through the Oz books, one of the witches in question has an, a name, Evanora. Um, it seems to me that there's some elements from Ozma of Oz in mm-hmm. here. The fakery of how the wizard comes with a balloon marked O-Z seems to be intact. The uh, witches battling, although why we can never get four witches? At I the same know. time, on the same screen. Like, there's four witches. As far as I can tell, only three witches make it into this movie. I really don't know what's going on with that. But he, theoretically, in the books, beat them and created the Emerald City, right in the middle where all their lands met. So we'll see. That looks like it's holding. But, you know, it's funny because the spoiler for this movie came out in 2010, and the buzz was that Robert Downey Jr. was going to play the main character. And he sure isn't in this. It's James Franco.
1: Maybe because James Franco can play Sleazy a little bit better
0: than... Yeah, he probably has more money now after Iron Man. He's like, nah, I don't need that anymore.
1: You know, we're going to get letters. People, You forgot my favorite adaptation. You forgot my favorite fan fiction. You forgot
0: my favorite book. We had to narrow it down. And we're sorry. So, um, I cannot leave out the famous Wicked series by Gregory Maguire and subsequent musical, So Hot, on the Broadway. And that explores Glenda and the Wicked Witch of the West future as college roommates. And their lifelong friendship and romantic entanglements. And quite an interesting take on it, I think. It also reveals something shocking about the Wicked Witch of the West's parentage. <clears throat> I can't even, I'm not going to spoil for you. Don't spoil. Basically, I just went, huh. That was my response. There's one that you probably have missed. It's called Was, W-A-S. And it's notable, among all these, for kind of pulling all of this into the real world and making it really really dark. It won quite a few awards. It's very clever. There is a subculture
1: for this movie. Like No Tomorrow. Like the books and the movie and the people just, there's royal historians out there, let's just put it that way, who are monitoring all of the Oz information. I'm sure they're listening right now. And they will correct you. It's it's fascinating to read um, on the forums the international wizard of oz club is the, probably the biggest one and we'll link you up to them they used to have a message board which closed in 2011 but you can still read it they do have a facebook page but those they're the they debate things like the map that is shown of oz that
0: it's it's a this is a big deal it reminds me not to belabor the point of the intricacies of the harry potter fandom and if there's anybody that can find an inconsistency in anything an author has ever written, it is these folks. Mm-hmm. It's amazing to me. <laughs> I know. They well, know everything. They do. There is actually a
1: newer website that does have a message board. It's... Uh, Dorothyandozma.com and it's the royal website of Oz. It seems like a nice bunch of people. It's not really big message board yet. There's not a lot of bells and whistles on the site, but if you want to talk Oz on a message board, that's a good place to go to. There's also a convention, Wikicon. It will be June 21st to the 23rd in Pacific Grove, California. It's the 49th convention. There is a link and if you want, don't want to read the books, but you want to know what happens in the whole storyline. You don't want to sit down and read them, but they're children's books. They don't take that long. TOR.com, which is a sci-fi fantasy site. There's a uh, woman named Mary or Mari, I'm not sure, Mari Ness. She did chronological order reports on each of the books, and they are hysterical. She has such a great voice, and I just really enjoyed reading through the reviews. But on the main page, and we will link you to this, there are all 40 original book covers, the original cookbook art, with a two or three word explanation of what the book is about. Like The Wizard of Oz was The Fabulous Journey, and the second one was Oz Revolt, even though the book is called Marvelous Land of Oz. Ozma of Oz, follow your inner chicken. So it's just, it's really a fun, fun online read. So I would strongly recommend that if you don't have any desire to read through all the books.
0: There's an episode of a podcast called Studio 360. They've got a series called American Icons, and one of their shows is The Wizard of Oz. And you'll get a great perspective on how much impact that's made on pretty much everyone uh, in this country and often worldwide from that show. I recommend that. We'll put a link to that. Um, also, there is a Wizard of Oz game on Facebook with 60,000 likes. It is a world builder game, you know, like um, like Farmville or something. Um, and you can build a Wizard of Oz. And already in the comments for the app, there's somebody that said, that map is all wrong. There's no winning. <laughs> so the map's all wrong. But if you can get past that, uh, it looks like a lot of people like it. So give it a go. Uh, I know the gingham dress is present, and there are lots of yellow bricks, and that's as far as I got <laughs> because I didn't have any more time. Let us know how that goes. What level you get to, if that's such a thing. Now, as to books, I have to say we probably should just we should probably just list them on the website. But I would like to list the one that I liked the most. Is that okay with you? Yeah. If we do it's one. the same one. The Annotated yep. Wizard of Oz, just like the Annotated Alice, um, we found. To be so helpful, this one is written by a man named Michael Patrick Hearn. And it has a great introduction at the beginning. And then it'll have the text with a lot of commentary, similar to the way that the Alice book went. And I actually learned a lot looking through that book and paging through it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did too. That would really
1: be, quite honestly, other than the books themselves, that would be the only one I would really recommend.
0: No, there are some biographies of Frank Baum and then, of course, the books by Gregory Maguire and... You know, all the other things that we referenced to make this podcast, and we'll just put those simply in a list on the website, just for time. <laughs> Going to be a big list. <laughs> also, in the interest of time, we have pulled out our profiles of Judy Garland, Billy Burke, and Margaret Hamilton, the famous Wicked Witch of the West, and put them in a little minicast that we'll post within the week. And that about wraps up our coverage of The Wizard of Oz for this time. And let's just leave you with a quote from Frank Baum himself. I believe that dreams, daydreams, you know, with your eyes wide open and your brain machinery whizzing, are likely to lead to the betterment of the world. The imaginative child will become the imaginative man or woman most apt to create, to invent, and to better our civilization. Thanks for listening. Bye! For show notes, links to the things we talked about today, or to donate, please visit us at thehistorychicks.com. Follow us on Twitter at thehistorychicks, with an X, or like us on Facebook, without an X. If you'd like us in real life, please tell a few friends or leave a review for us on iTunes. Our music comes courtesy of Music Alley. Visit them at music.mevio.com.
2: There's yeah, the scarecrow leaning on a pole to a blackbird sitting by a fence. Well, the Lord gave me a soul, but he didn't.
0: La 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 la
2: test la 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 la. <laughs> <laughs>